Hi, this is Big Talk, Big Mike here. My guest today in the studio, Nikki B. She's the co-owner and arts and entertainment director of The Backdoor. Now that's Bloomington's LGBTQ-friendly nightclub and bar. Thanks for coming in, Nikki. Thanks for having me, Big Mike. You know, it's been 48 years since Stonewall. Do today's lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and all the rest kids even know what Stonewall was? This new generation of actual, like, kids' kids, like high school kids, know a lot about queer history and are light years ahead of where I was 20 years ago uh, when I was in high school. But as far as, like, the, the generation that's in college right now, it's really hit or miss as well as, as far as if people know their history or not. Some of, the, some of them, like, really do, and there's a huge activist um, faction uh, that are part of the bar, and then there's some people that are blissfully oblivious to the struggles that our people have been through over the past 50 years and before. But I think that movie, that terrible movie Stonewall that came out a year mm-hmm. or two ago, um, really pushed the conversation because um, a lot of people, including some some older folks that I know, like much older folks that I know, were like, finally, our story is coming out. And I'm like, this is not your story. Wow. I was like, this is it's, it's a whitewashed version of um, of what happened there. And so that kind of really, really pushed the conversation and made everybody investigate and interrogate what what that action was, how long it took, who was involved, which for folks that don't know, uh, was was pretty much was credited with being incited uh, by by two trans women of color, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And there's a number of other people involved, of course. But um, but yeah, so sometimes, you know, terrible pop culture can also kind of <laughs> <laughs> incite the riot in new ways. Can a person run a queer nightclub and not be political? Well, I think choosing not to be political when your identity is politicized is a political statement. It's it's complacency, you know, which is really dangerous, I think. It really leads to marginalization of folks within your community um, and reinforces power structures, uh, patriarchal power structures, authoritarian power structures that are already in place. That people think, oh, it's a safe space, and then it's like, no, who's it a safe space for? Because if you aren't being political, you are ostracizing someone. You have to have radical inclusivity uh, in this day and age. Otherwise, somebody's going to get thrown under the bus. I discovered from Fox 59 News this factoid. Bloomington has the fifth largest population per capita of same-sex households in the nation. Did you know that? (laughs) I didn't I didn't know that. No. The I didn't fifth, know that. Fifth largest. Is this a queer friendly town? Oh yeah. I I forget that actually until I travel pretty much anywhere and forget like that I can walk down the street with my girlfriend and hold hands and smooch in public and talk about queer things in public and people don't really bat an eye whereas anywhere anywhere else I go including when I go home to Atlanta it feels different but Atlanta is the queer center of the south it's still the south <laughs> but, <laughs> well that says something yeah. I right mean there. And, you know like I mean like any major major city like you're going to have your pockets where you don't have to worry as much but I think as far as like having an entire town that is kind of down with the cause, and that isn't to say that we don't have bigots here. We certainly do. But it is, it is a, a place where I forget how easy I can breathe. Today, in Bloomington, on the street, if you want to kiss your girlfriend... I wouldn't think anything of it. Not a thing? Not a thing. 
pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think I think people, anyone with a marginalized identity, always always has the corner of their eye. You know, the peripheral vision is always going on to for somebody. You know, you just you wait for that energy to come around the corner that makes you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this right now. But that that happens much less here than it does anywhere else. How important is it for a young college student, uh, perhaps from a more restrictive small town, uh, to come to school here in Bloomington and find a place like yours where she or he can find other people who've grappled with identity and orientation? How important is that? Oh, that's paramount. Uh, the only thing that I regret is that, um, you know, we're because we serve alcohol in the state of Indiana, that we can only cater to folks 21 and over. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something that we've got Rhinos, which is a great resource, and, and um, uh, Prism Youth Community, which is those, those young people are brilliant. And so, you know, I'm, I kind of like, I really miss like Rachel's Cafe or like, mm. you know, we need, I think, especially right now and with, um, with just how kind of scary everything is, is that we need community spaces that aren't necessarily focused around alcohol because that's also a real slippery slope, you know? Yeah. I, I think everybody in the industry kind of struggles with it. And, and even just when your scene is constantly about partying and booze, like that can be really fun, but that can also be really be really limiting um, and <laughs> turn, turn into problems uh, for, for folks. So, um, but the actual like having community and having a place that you can come and not only be exposed to people that are like you, but people that are maybe not quite like you, but still have a, you know, have a identity that they're struggling with and also be exposed to art is, is it's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's look at this from a historical perspective. Is the climate today in the streets, in the bars, in the workplace. Is it changing for the worse for LGBTQ people? Clarify that for me. Well, I mean, is it harder to kiss your loved one? Is it harder to walk down the street and be obviously in your face, gay, lesbian, trans, what have you? Oh, I think that's entirely dependent on where you are uh -huh. and, and the people that are around you. You know, I mean, in Bloomington, there's Bloomington is is not has not been inoculated to to bigotry and and prejudice. Um, I've had a lot of people that work with the bar or that are regulars of ours tell me either you know personally or I've seen on Facebook that you know they've been they've had slurs thrown at them out windows recently on campus and downtown and more than maybe two years ago. Yeah, sure. I, people people bigots have really really been. Um, given the green light as far as um, let, letting their crap opinions loose into the world and and have seen a president who has said that hating people and saying awful things is is will go without punishment. When we were club kids, this is back in the late 70s, pre-AIDS, mm. and we would go to the big warehouse dance bars, mm -hmm. you know, gigantic in Chicago. Identity mattered not one iota. It was a lot of fun. And then AIDS came and killed that scene. Literally. Just killed Literally it. Literally killed it. Yeah, I mean, and you kind of saw a resurgence of that a little bit in my generation, in the 90s, like, rave generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, not not to the same not to the same degree. I think I think gender and gender roles and sexuality were a little bit more regulated in the 90s, at least from my perspective. Yeah. We've kind of gone through this. The pendulum swing. Yes. 
And and so it's just nice. It's nice to have that kind of freedom again that I think people really miss every like 10 years ago we kind of go through this like dark age yeah in the party scene <laughs> where everything gets like real real straight and normalized and you know authoritarian in a little bit and then we're able to to break three free again right what's interesting to me is that at least right now and i might be in my bubble and oblivious to what's going on but it doesn't seem as centered around drug use as my experiences in the past. I was going to mention that, that yeah. it, there always seemed to be a drug factor. Right. You know, I mean, whether it was ecstasy right. in the 90s or uh, cocaine and poppers yeah. in the 70s. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm naive. I know that, like, kids do Molly and shit like that. But and I don't know. I don't know if it's because I did so many drugs and <laughs> put myself in so many unsafe situations and also that now that I'm in charge of a space I don't want to deal with that yeah. but it's also like Bloomington is a really small town rape culture is out of control here just completely out of rape control culture rape culture is out um, of control in relation to the rest of the nation or oh, yeah. is it reflective of the rest of the nation oh I think I think even as far as the rest of the nation is concerned I was you know I'm from Atlanta I'm from a major city and I yeah. have never ever encountered so many people having having been roofied or having been assaulted yeah. in a various different ways than I did in like the 10 years that I was in the bar scene in Atlanta yeah. not to say it didn't happen of course it happened but with the frequency and kind of um Unfortunately, the predictability and with the university not holding any anyone accountable, right. our first spring that we were open with booze, Middleway House called me up and told me that four separate incidents of sexual assault um, had originated from the back door. I lost my mind. This is true? This is true. I lost my mind. And so that's when, that's when we started our band list where we put people's faces on the door. Faces and names. Uh-huh. You're going to f*** up in here. I'm going to put your face out into the world. Yeah. We started putting out posts with sexual predators. That, like, if we could if we could find whoever was being predatory in the bar, we'd put them on blast on the internet. It was just like we were not we were not messing around the way yeah. that other bars were just kind of allowing this to happen. And so, and also creating a culture within the bar when, you know, when patrons felt uncomfortable. Because when, when, when we first opened, people would just leave. And sometimes leave in tears and then write me an angry email or something like that and be like, this is what happened in your bar. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say anything? And they're like, well, I was too scared or nervous. or I didn't know that I could. And I was like, please. I was like, this is your house. Yeah. I was like, this is my house, but this is your house. Like people that did not feel comfortable speaking up are now some of the folks that are, you know, kind of the bulldogs of the back door. Because now we have most of our patron base who is looking out for each other, for themselves, you know, letting me know if there's some some creepy dudes, you know, and sometimes and sometimes and sometimes those people are totally innocent. And so I'm still the one that has to yeah. really step back and assess that situation and be like, right. are you being a creep or are you just a weird dude in the corner that doesn't know how to talk to people? And and stares. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and and you sometimes you just have to have a conversation and be like, hey, dude, how's it going? You doing OK? You know, and like and get a feel off of what they're telling you. And if they if they feel guilty, they leave. Yeah, that's usually always what happens. If they start feeling like, oh, I'm being watched now. Yeah, and if they're really just, I'm there, not in the shadows anymore. Right, and yeah. and then if they're just there because they're quiet and don't really know how to talk to folks and just want to kind of be a fly on the wall, then I'm like, that's fine. You know, I was like, 
break eye contact <laughs> every once in a while. You're creeping people out, but you can <laughs> hang out. Yeah. Know? Hey, hey, do you like this work? I do. It's exhausting, but I do. I love it. I don't know what I, I have no idea what I would do if I. What time do you normally get this. to sleep? Oh God. Sometime between two and five. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I mean, I don't work every night. Right. Um, but that's just my schedule. So when you when you ask for a noon interview, that's that's morning. <laughs> that's, that's like a nine a.m. call, uh, which is fine. Early on, you started off as sort of like the in-house artist right. of the back door. This is before you took ownership, mm-hmm. part ownership, with... Smooth G. Smooth G, who's your business partner. The two of you own and run the place. Correct. Okay. And at, at first, you were drawing murals and so forth yeah. around, around that? And uh, do you still do any artwork? I do. Um, I actually just started repainting the bathrooms. A lot of a lot of my artistic um, energy still goes into the bar, but I think with everything that's happened politically and socially, um, I've started making visual my own visual art again, which is really nice. Yeah, it's like you forget that you're your own person sometimes when <laughs> you have a business and you're kind of uh, responsible for a community. Um, so yeah, I do, uh, I paint and I do collage and, Uh um, uh, a photographer by trade. That was the first art form that I learned and also all sorts of things. So, and also performance. And so I've been. What kind of performance? Uh, well, I come from the theater world, so I did a lot of theater, um, which is. You're not a king, are you? I wouldn't call myself a king. I'm a weird gender queer performer occasionally. So. Um, I was doing a lot of that, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago or so, and then kind of, um, I don't know, just kind of got burnt out on it or lost ideas. Um, I wasn't pushing myself hard enough and so, and didn't have like the energy to really push myself to do really good work. And so I was like, yeah. well, I'll just put that down for a little while. Jeez, was it a month ago, two months ago? Um, I had Sue on, Sue Rawl. Ah, oh, she's one of my favorites. Isn't she the neatest? She's so great. And then I've recently become very friendly with Renee. Yeah. She's wonderful. She's also wonderful. Derek Derek Von Zipper is a dirty bastard. Her uh, <laughs> her her alias, um, but really like really funny. It was really great to see also someone uh, who's a little bit older kind of step into that realm because it's usually you know like younger folks that that kind of step up to the plate um, and seeing like the work that Renee does and of course like her taste in music is much closer to to my taste in music than some of the, the younger folks that step on the stage. And so it's oh, wait, been... wait, 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 you, wait. I got to stop you right there. You okay. say the younger folks. You, you, you're you no old, you're no old coot like I am, for God's no. sake. No, I mean, but you know, still I'm at the point where there's like folks coming into the scene that are 15 years younger than me, and that's weird. <laughs> my heavens. All right, real quickly. Now, you, you've mentioned already you were raised in Atlanta, but you weren't born in Atlanta. Where were you born? Lansing, Michigan. Lansing, yeah, Michigan. Yeah, I'm a Yankee. Southern fried Yankee. How long did you stay there? Uh, I was there until I was about eight. Um, and then my father stayed there, so I spent summers in Michigan uh-huh. and the occasional holiday. So you moved to Atlanta, and you were there until you got the heck out. How long? How long did you stay there? So I well, I lived in Savannah for five years, and in Atlanta, and then I ran away to Europe for three years, and then I moved back to. I've kind of bounced around. Were you on the run from the law? So, <laughs> are, are you, um, I actually. Will I get a reward if I right? turn you in? <laughs> Nikki, B you're wearing a striped alias, shirt already, right? by the way. I'm, I'm already ready. Yeah. I'm ready already. 
No, I was, uh, I really, I ran away um, during what I thought was the Bush regime, uh, which makes what's going on now look oh, like yeah. sun, sunshine and flowers. That's the craziness. Um, so when he got, when he got elected to a second term, um, a bunch of things were kind of going wrong. My school was being bought by a, by, I went to this like really bohemian Bauhaus art uh, school in Atlanta and it got bought out by this really mainstream which was fine. It was, it was a great school if you wanted to do commercial art, but not if you wanted to just be like an, an artist. artist. Yeah. With a capital A. Uh, <laughs> so that was all happening. Um, and I had met someone in Germany. And so I did a study abroad in Ireland and then got married to a, um, a German undertaker and stayed in Germany for three years. I got married to a German <laughs> undertaker. <laughs> Let's just groove on that for a, a brief moment. That's wild. So that's that's long history past. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the early two thousands. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, everybody needs a starter marriage, right? Yeah, it's like a starter house. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was it was one of those things. We were great friends, and we didn't know each other very well, and it was just something that shouldn't have happened, but it did, and so. We dealt with it, and it was one of the, like, I was in Germany, and I was loving it, and it was like, you know, a new language and a new culture, and once I learned the culture and once I learned the language, I realized that I didn't have any reason to be there. Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of, I, I left. I came back to the States with three bags and 300 bucks. You know, and, and Atlanta's my cat of nine live city. Yeah. I can, I can, you know, be completely destitute and show back up into that town and know where to find old friends and know the old establishments to go to. Atlanta is changing really drastically. And so I hope that it's still my cat of nine live city. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was one of those things that I, I just showed back up. I didn't even tell anyone that I was coming. And I showed back up and I had a couch and a beer and a burrito and a job within two weeks and was on my feet within like two months. You know, yeah. it was kind of, I mean, it was it was so ridiculously blessed and privileged to have that opportunity to be able to leave like that and come back and be basically homeless and then just be able like through all of the connections that I had just to like have my life back almost all at once. I mean, that that's that's really rare that people get to have yeah, that opportunity. Yeah. And so but you did it. Like I, I said, it. you're tough. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> tough cookie. Now, <laughs> how did you wind up over here? Smoove and I had a really, really close friend in common uh, that passed away unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, his name was Christian Zabriskie. And so he, he was like a, a – he was from here, and we were really good friends in Atlanta. Um, and he had moved back. We hadn't seen each other in a number of years. We hadn't lived in the same town for like 10 years. And um, I came back from Germany, and he's like, Nikki – like, I finally have friends in Bloomington again. You have to meet these crazy people. Like, you've got to meet my friend Smoove. We're oh. all gonna we're all gonna dress as clowns for the Fourth of July parade. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, Christian, I hate clowns, but I love you. <laughs> and so yeah, I was like, sure. You know, we had another friend coming in from from Germany who also lived there. And uh, and I was like, tell you what, you know, our, our buddy's gonna be in town on on the second, uh, or on the first rather, and we'll we'll drive up and hang out with you on the second and stay all week. And Christian died, dropped out of a heart attack on June 30th. Smoove was actually the one that called me. Yeah. And I did not take it well. I was like, who is this person that does not have a real name telling me that my best friend died of natural causes at 40? This is, right. this is garbage. This cannot be. And then, you know, and then I got up here and 
fell in love with the community. He was like, people people just loved him. And apparently he had been talking about his friend Nikki coming. And so I, I showed up and was immediately, like immediately physically like, just hugged by this by this community with people who knew who I was. I had no yeah. idea who they were. And, you know, and a few of them were like, man, you should just move here. You should just stay. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm from a city. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, I was home. I was in Atlanta like two weeks. And something just told me, like, you know, assessing, like, why am I here? I, I didn't have a bad life, but I didn't, I didn't know that it was, you know um, – sustaining itself the way that I wanted it to. Yeah. And so one of the one of the original founders of the Backdoor, Olive Likens, called me up and was like, hey, you want to help us open a bar? And I was like, yeah. I was like, sure. I've worked in plenty of bars. I was like, I've never opened one before, but I'll help you open it. Own okay. it. And so uh, came, came to Bloomington, and he was like, oh, well, you know, by the way, it's a gay bar. And I was like, oh, man, I'm not a very good gay. Like, I came out of the, like, rock and roll theater scene you yes, know it was yeah. like where i was you know like i'm not a very good gay <laughs> you know there have been some great quotes in here i you know i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't really political um i i didn't know a lot about identities i didn't know a lot about my own identity you mean as a human or as a sexual being both. Okay. Both. And it wasn't until I, I came to Bloomington and was exposed to so many people that were openly, openly like genderqueer. Yeah. And, um, and in a, in a sense where it was almost kind of intellectualized because of the university. Yeah. Like I knew, I knew genderqueer folks in Atlanta, obviously. Um, it, but it was like, it was, it, it seemed more radical in a way because it was all the, all the people that I knew were artists and very subversive anyway. And so to come to Bloomington, where you had the same thing, but then it was intellectualized and, you know, and there was more the theory behind it and explaining that it isn't just, you know, one thing or another. You're not just like trans or, you know, like cis, that there's there's gray area. All these different words that all I notice these, on your website here, I'm going to I'm going to say them. Sure. And you know what? Between the both of us, we're not going to know the definitions oh, of all these. <laughs> there are, okay, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, fluid, questioning, homoflexible, sapiosexual, demisexual, pansexual, heteroflexible. I like that. It sounds like, you know, like aluminum foil or something. <laughs> Gender queer, polyamorous, asexual and there's others which you guys haven't even thought of yet there are and that's that's a mix of both sexualities and genders gender yeah. identities in there and the the trans with an asterisk is also um, ah. kind of uh the the sibling of gender queer uh -huh. um where it's it's kind of like make your own definition for what that means uh which is really cool but yeah there's you know and people have people have names for all sorts of all sorts of sexualities and proclivities and things like that, and that I'm still learning. Being political and being an activist, like, Smooth and I are relatively new to this, and so it's like we're learning all the time. And some people expect us to know things. Some people that, you know, there's, there's folks that don't have a lot of social outlets, and so they spend a lot of time in front of their computers, like reading theory and, you know, in, in theory books and about different identities and on blogs and on all of this. And I'm like, 
oh, I don't have time for all of that. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to, and I want to keep learning, but somebody was like, oh, you forgot this person. And I was like, that was not at all intentional. Like, right. Please just let me know. And like some of these things, like sapiosexual, I'm, I'm not sure that I could define for you. I, I would have to look it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, and there's, it's like, we didn't want to leave folks out. There's asexual, aromantic, um, you know, all of those things. So basically it was like our, our purpose in doing that was to, to make it a space where people could openly question their own sexuality. Whereas like if they needed to be in a space where a straight, like whatever, a straight college girl could come in and flirt with 10 different people and it didn't matter what gender they were, you know, and it's like, and it, and or just you know like engage with people in a way where it's not just like a straight bar it's like oh if i'm talking to a dude it means i want to sleep with him yeah right you know right, it's right. like um where you're not even sure about the people that you're talking about you know there's folks that yeah. obviously read queer or yeah. read gay but there's so many people at the bar that you just you just don't know like there's people that i thought were you know that i thought were probably straight people that aren't yeah you know <laughs> like, isn't that oh, wild um so it's you yeah, it's it's really great. And I just wanted to, we wanted to encourage people not to pigeonhole themselves. You know, why we wanted to include everybody was also to be like, you know, if you, if you even just want to check out one of those sexualities or gender identities for the evening, feel free. Yeah. You know, you don't have to commit to any of that. Growing up a man, mm. if you, if you do it one day, you've done it forever. That's what we're taught. Yeah, that's How's unfortunate. That I mean, that's that that is a prime example about how the patriarchy uh, is terrible for men as well. That's yeah. awful. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, but on the other hand, there's this weird thing among men. You know the difference between pitching and catching. Sure. Okay. If you're pitching, you're not gay. If you're catching, you're gay. Again, again, these are these like. Isn't that weird? No, it's not weird. It's completely predictable. <laughs> it's completely predictable. It is. It is a toxic masculinity and yeah. the patriarchy at work, and it's and it's so sad that our society has pigeonholed everyone the way that they have, including cisgendered males. You know, it's like cisgendered straight men. I. I it's really hard because I really do feel that that the system that privileges them so much also, you know, makes them like act so terrible because they're not allowed to be their true selves often. It's a lot of pressure. And so, right. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of, it's a lot of pretending and it's a lot of, you know, like having, having to live up to something that is, that is not natural and that, um, that is really so prohibitive and terrible for the soul. You know, it's like you go down to your like soul place and, I don't know, man. I just, I, I feel like I, straight cisgendered men, white men especially, you know, like it's really hard to be empathetic towards them because of how a lot of them act. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the other side, it's like, man, we're, we're all part of this super broken right. system. So, you know, what you're saying is even though you've been made a jerk, you're still acting like a jerk, and it really tees me off. Right. You're yeah. St- yeah. You're still using your privilege intentionally to try to oppress other people, but you're trying to oppress other people because you're not allowed to be yourself. Nikki B., co-owner and arts and entertainment director of The Backdoor. Thanks for joining us on Big Talk today. Thanks for having me, Big Mike. Big Mike.